1: Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of leading conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito.
2: Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. So today, we have a good friend of mine, Phil Town, who is the author of Rule Number 1 and Payback Time, Making Big Money is the Best Revenge. Mm -hmm, That sounds interesting. Phil is a hedge fund manager, and an investment guru and educator, but he's definitely not what you would think when you think of Wall Street bankers and investors, and, you know, I think this is kind of a key to Phil's success. He is somebody that a lot of people can relate to, so we're going to learn more about that today, so Phil, welcome to the show. Thank you, Cheryl. It's a
3: real pleasure to be here. I'm glad you're uh, you're giving me a little bit of time to talk about Rule One Investing and how to kind of, you know, figure out how to make some money in this stock market and what to do with your investments and all that kind of stuff we love to talk about.
2: Uh, all that kind of stuff we love to talk about and certainly is uh, making headlines every day of our life. So before we get into kind of the specifics of that, um, where are you today? Where are you hanging out today? Uh, my wife and I um, run
3: our hedge fund from our farm in um, South Georgia. It's well, not South Georgia. It's south of Atlanta, uh, about forty miles south. we have we have a bunch of horses and uh, just love it out here. It's beautiful. I, we've just kind of moved out here from uh, from Jackson Hole, Wyoming, for being out there for many, many, many years. We're, we're uh, settling for warmer weather these days. Uh-huh. So,
2: uh huh. So a little bit. So. So shall we say, as we get older, we kind of want life to be a little easier, you <laughs> know? <laughs> I mean, you know, not, I mean, not saying anything, Phil, but, you know. No,
3: no, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not about us, you know. We're, but our horses were cold in the wintertime. That's what it really was.
2: Oh, here we go. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad to know that you're such a humane fellow. We're just taking, <laughs> just taking care of the horses, you know. I love them. Well, and Melissa is just a wonderful person, and I know that you are very much a family man. Um, but, you know, I, I find what I what I find about you that I just love is you really wear your heart where it's real visible. You know, I mean, you don't find people in um, the financial arena who feel comfortable doing that a lot, and you know, you come across as somebody who is. Um, what you see is what you get, and you can kind of always tell what Bill's thinking. At least, at least what his mood might be. You know, it's kind of the the impression I've had with you the times that we've interacted, and in, um, and a very genuine and generous-hearted person. And so, you know, when when all of this information about finance comes out of your mouth, it kind of jars people. It's like, oh, oh, oh. So, whoa, wait a minute. So here's this guy who's brilliant and into money, and yet he seems like some guy that I could sit down and just have a cup of coffee with or have a drink with and just uh, breeze, you know. And um, you're, not, you're just not the normal stereotype of finance people. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And, you know, I think our guests would be, our listeners would be really interested to know a little bit about where you come from. You know, kind of what got you here? So so tell us a little bit, you know, about growing up. What was it like for you as a kid? Well,
3: I I don't come from from money, that's for, <laughs> that's that maybe is why I I always sort of feel like I'm I'm connected more to people that, that don't have money than people who are really wealthy, you know, in my whole life and my whole family. I was the the first kid that, you know, went to college. Um, the first Person in the family that made any money, and and then uh, my brothers followed right after me, and, and have done extremely well. So there was something in the in the water we were drinking in Oregon, I guess, that when we got brought up, but it, it definitely connected uh, to us to money somehow. Coming from a basically a blue collar, you know, railroad worker uh, family kind of an environment, and um, but. My dad, you know, my dad sort of broke away from that and and got a job as an accountant and he sort of started learning about numbers and and I think that that sort of rubbed up on us and we kind of went from that starting with nothing world to, uh, you know, to into the military and when I was 19 and then from there Um, I came back from Vietnam and got a job as a river guide and I was down working as a guide in the grand Canyon for almost 10 years. Um, and I loved what I was doing. It was great. I I just didn't, money just wasn't part of it. You know, money, money was never a part of my life really. And I, I was perfectly happy to not have money. Um, and then, and then everything kind of changed in 1980. I I took the uh, trustees of Outward Bound, you know, like the the group that takes kids out in the woods, and Absolutely. and uh, great yeah, kind of yeah, great organization, and they they really try to to get kids connected back into nature and and uh, and away from a lot of juvenile crime. Kids kind of come, come out there, and so these are really a bunch of good guys that were funding all this. The Outward Bound trustees and. And we took them down the Grand Canyon on small paddle rafts. And when we got about, and so they were doing all the work. I mean, they were paddling the boats and they had lots of gear, you know, we're two weeks out there. And about halfway down the river, we got to Crystal and I took this, this group on my raft, um, over and walked along to the, to the beach and we looked at this rapid and man, Joe, it was running so huge. It was just this monster rapid that, I mean, really, if you could avoid going in it, you would, because it dropped 35 feet off the left side, and it a was it was huge, like, oh yeah, a huge hole. The waves were, or the big rolling waves were like 20, 20 25 feet high, <clears throat> and we were in small paddle rafts. We were in 18 foot rafts, and it was but, real scary, you know, and and, uh, and there was no way to get that raft safely around that rapid without putting people in it and paddling it. So I told these guys, look, we're going to cheat our way on the right side of this thing and not get sucked over into that huge drop. And, um, and they were, you know, physically relieved that we were going to not get anywhere near that thing. And I said, so if we do everything perfectly, you know, we'll get our nose of our boat around this last rock and we'll, we'll get into this eddy and we'll be fine. Um, and when we started down the rapid, that was the plan. And <laughs> like, we got out there and the, the power of the current was so strong that the mm-hmm. guys on my boat, they didn't have the power to drive the boat to the eddy. And we got sucked straight out in the middle of the river. And we're going to go right over this thing. And I thought, oh, man, you know, we're, we're in trouble. And I turned the boat so that we had hit this thing straight. And then I saw on the far side of it, where I'd never been in 40 trips down this river, there was a wall of water and maybe the possibility of not going into the hole. And I just, it, it was smashing against a cliff. And I thought, well, it's better than the hole. And I told these guys to drive the boat. <laughs> And they made this thing walk on water. Oh, my gosh, they made this thing go fast. And But now we were going with the current. And we hit that huge wall of water, and we skidded sideways down a kind of a, a ramp that you couldn't even see. And we zinged around that hole and dropped down to the bottom of this rapid without almost without getting wet. It was like the slickest thing you'd ever seen. And when I got over to the beach, the guy that owns the company, his name's Rob Elliott, and he, the company is Arizona Raft Adventures. And Rob took me aside, you know, put an arm around my shoulders and took me aside where we were private. And he said, if you ever pull a stunt like that again, I will <laughs> kill you. I said, Rob, you think I did that on purpose? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> so
3: the guys got out of the boat, you know, and they were, they were just rubber-kneed, and so was I. And, oh, and yeah. one of the guys actually threw up and I'm just on the level of pure adrenaline. And, <laughs> and another guy gave me this bear hug and said, you saved my life and I I really owe you and honestly, I just thought I was going to get a big tip and I thought, this is great. Uh-huh. You know, I'm going to get a big tip uh-huh. but, he, yeah, you know, what he said was nice is, you know, basically, you remember that whole thing about you feed a man a fish and you fed him for a day kind of thing? Oh, yeah. And, he, he basically was doing that. He was basically saying, "Look, I, I could give you some money, but that's not the point of what I'm saying. This is I want to teach you to invest." And my problem, of course, was I didn't have any money to invest. I had mm-hmm. never been around anyone in my life who invested. You know, that's what rich people did, mm-hmm. and uh, and I didn't have any frame of reference for this. So I was polite but disappointed that I wasn't getting the, the, the big tip. <laughs> <laughs> But he kept on me for the next week, and, and by the end of the trip, I had come to realize that he lived in a very warm place down in La Jolla, California, and I could probably go there and hang out for a week or two and be warm, because I was living in Flagstaff and it was freezing cold up there in the wintertime. So, on the basis of this astonishing revelation... I decided that winter to go out to his place and just hang out. And the price of that, of course, was I was going to have to listen to him tell me that I should be an investor, but I was willing to pay that price and, and pull Well, hang on,
2: hang on a second. So I, um, you know, you, you make this sound like, um, you know, it's, it's like no big deal to do this amazing thing, live through it, and then this guy It's almost like being discovered as a movie star. It's like, oh, you, I'm going to take you. And you know, but there, there's must have been something in you besides saving his life um, that he saw that made him think that doesn't matter if he doesn't have money, doesn't matter if he's not, um, you know, a maskey, doesn't matter if he's not interested in finance. But there's something about him that makes me know he's going to be successful. Do Do you know what that is? Cheryl, you, no one has ever asked me
3: that before. That is an amazingly insightful question, because I've thought about that, and I and I, I never did discuss it with this guy, but I thought about it, and I think what it was, honestly, is that I'm I have a, the ability to stay. <clears throat> excuse me, I have the ability to stay really pretty calm when
2: mm.
3: it's. It would be a good time to panic, you know? Right, and, right. <laughs> and I've, I've, it's always sort of been like that. I mean, when I went through the military, I, I kept getting pushed over into more and more sort of elite groups, and I ended up in, mm-hmm. in uh, Army Special Forces for a while. And that was the, the quality I think that brought me to there was that I'm pretty good at, I'm pretty good at staying calm. And mm-hmm. I think what this guy saw was that that, well, what he knew that I didn't know at that time was that staying rational when, um, when things are getting really emotional is uh-huh. such a critical component to the kind of investing strategy that he was going to teach me.
2: Ah, oh, okay. Okay. It was, so it's was, it was really a quality about you that... Let him know that. I mean, I really believe that. I think we really make decisions about people before they ever, before we ever really know them, because they're, you know, I mean, we really understand as a human being and what another human being is made up of, even if our brain, you know, doesn't translate that into a decision or a, a, you know, description. I really think that intuitively we really know, and so I think personally, my opinion, you know, it, 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 he probably really felt that in you and so, you know, said, aha, you know, this man deserves this kind of success and, you know, I'm going to help him be there. And and you mentioned having been in the special forces and, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of um, respect given to people who successfully achieve becoming part of the, success, of the social forces and, and then also live through it. You know, I mean, this is, um, it's almost a top honor in some way. Um, but it also, as we know, it takes a certain kind of person. And it's not only staying calm. It's, it's not only that. Um, it, it is a level of focus. And I'm wondering where you learned that level of focus. Well, wow, that's a great question. You know, I hadn't
3: had any real experience in uh, in the military until I got in it. My parents weren't in it, I didn't know anybody that was in mm-hmm. it, and um, and I think well, let me let me just think about the focus aspect of this. You know, I think part of it comes from from being in sports. I'll, I'll just tell you, huh? just my gut feel is that yeah. um, I grew up athletically you know i grew up in athletics and i and, and some of them were organized sports like and not that i was good at them particularly but that i was participating in uh um, in football you know and i was like 165 pounds of you know <laughs> of, of kid in pads you know like i guess stick with pads but i played and i and I think, I think sports developed that. I skied, you know, and I think things like that where you, you're kind of pushing the boundaries of your comfort zone a little bit and you start to learn to be more focused so that you can, yeah. you can stay in one piece when you're coming down the hill. You, know, not, you don't have to be good at it, but you have to start to learn about, about those things. But then I think the military itself develops a lot of that focus. You know, you, you are thrown into this environment and immediately are running around with, with dangerous equipment. And, you know, some people take to it, and so I, I think that there's just there's a bit of a talent level there that mm-hmm. um, that just kind of came through, um, and they developed it in the military. They just kind of started building mm-hmm. on that. Uh, otherwise, I don't know. I really, really interesting question because I've never thought about that level of focus. But you're a hundred percent right that at at the elite level of of special operations. Um, the people that I know that are in it, and and we do work a lot with with guys who are in it now up in Fifth Special Forces oh. Group. A lot of them have have learned to invest from us, and we stay in close mm-hmm. contact. Uh, you know, the Colonel who runs that group is one of our students, a great guy, John Brennan. And They it, we I know those guys real well, and and having mm-hmm. been one of them for a short time, and you know, back in that day, and and yeah. seeing what they're like, you see that they have this incredible ability to focus deeply. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a really good point.
2: Well, you know, I, I really um, appreciate this because as I look at the kind of investing the, that you teach people to do, um, it requires not getting distracted by, you know, kind of what we ha- what we call the bright, shiny objects, right? You know, chasing the stock that's, you know, running up so fast, and everybody wants to jump on the van, am and going to be part of it? And so, you know, you, you teach your um, students to not get distracted by things like that. And there's a whole methodology here that is counter to what most financial people would teach you, and we're going to learn about that when we come back right after this break.
1: Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's one 866 472 Five seven nine zero. Now back to your host, Cheryl.
2: Oh, welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito, and today my very special guest, Bill Town, who's the author of Rule Number One: Investing and Payback Time. Making Big Money is the Best Revenge. And so we were we were talking about some of your history and what got you to um, where you are today, and so. You had a mentor, someone who said, you know, I see that you can be successful, and by the way, you saved my life, but for real, and that's a side story, but um, let's talk about why it is important for people to look at investing differently than, you know, kind of what you read in the Wall Street Journal or what we, you know, the headlines we see every day, the stocks going up, you know, get on the bandwagon, Um, you know, what is your philosophy on this?
3: Well, my philosophy follows from my, my mentor, and who was mentored in turn by Warren Buffett, who was mentored in turn by Ben Graham. So the tradition that we're, we're going to talk about here goes all the way back to the 1930s, where Ben Graham and his partner, David Dodd, discovered that it really worked out well long-term, to buy things when they're on sale. And that, in fact, securities, stocks, go on sale on a regular basis. And they applied that in the Depression all the way through World War II. And by the middle 1950s, had, in today's dollars, run a multi-billion dollar fund and made 22% a year average through the Depression in World War
2: II. In okay, the time so, when the so stock market is, went nowhere. Is, what is buying things when they go on sale?
3: Well, imagine that... Well, let's not even talk about the stock market. Let's talk about something we've all probably done, which is to go to a flea market and yeah. try to find something that you can buy for less than it's worth. And uh-huh. some people do this as a living, right? They they right. buy stuff at garage sales and then flip it on eBay. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I mean in terms of buying stuff that's on sale. I mean that you know something about, let's say, uh, just for lack of a better idea, I happen to have a student who buys mink coats at garage sales. Okay. And she buys them for like $25. And then she flips them on eBay for 1000 bucks. So Ooh. she's able to go to some people's garage and find something that isn't a fake, right? She has to know the difference. Right. And she has to know what this thing is worth. Maybe sometimes she says she'll pay three hundred, and you know, but she's buying it. In Warren Buffett's terms, she's buying ten dollar bills for five dollars, and then all all she has to do is find a way to convert that five dollars that she paid into the ten dollars of value. So what we learned is that in the stock market, the marketplace regularly puts things on sale. It regularly Puts ten dollar values available to be bought for five bucks, and mm. and that's what we do is we wait patiently for an opportunity to do that, uh, pick up that ten dollar bill for five dollars. Now, but I wanted to go back to to really something I thought you said that's really important to start with here when we start talking about investing, and that is that for most people. Um, Starting investing when they're young, putting away dollars every month regularly um, into some sort of dollar-cost-averaged index fund is probably the best thing they can do. That's probably the best idea. Um, And and the reason for that, the the key thing is that they're starting young and doing it. That's the key Ah. thing. And because if you do that, you're almost guaranteed to be rich someday. Because the stock market in the long run does go up, and if you start young, you've got a long run. You've got, you've got plenty of time. And, okay. But here's the catch, is a lot of us are not young anymore, and we have <laughs> not saved our money. We have spent it, and now we're sitting here at 50 or 55 or 60 And we've got $85,000 net worth, and we have no idea how we're going to manage to retire. And the Mm. financial services industry has no answer to that problem at all. They have no answer, because their answer is always to invest for the long run, to buy mutual funds and indexes, uh, to diversify your portfolio across all of these indexes and funds. And that's great advice if, if you don't want to retire in 5 or 10 years. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're okay for 30 years, that's great advice. But for all these baby boomers right now who are really in, in facing a lot of, of financial hurdles, right. it, it, this, is a, this is a big deal to, to, to take a look at investing in a different kind of way than what right. the whole financial services industry says you've got to do.
2: Well, and, you know, I and I wanted, I definitely want to know more about those um, nuts and bolts, but you know what you just said prompted a question in me, and that is that, um, you know, the kids of the boomers and the generation following that um, are pretty non-traditional thinkers. You know, you think about people... Kids who move into things in startups and you know are hanging out in Silicon Valley and um, there's there's a lot of um, young millionaires being minted in Silicon Valley and, and other tech centers around the world and you know their whole perspective is very different about money. Some of them even you know drop out of really good colleges, really good universities because of an opportunity to work with a startup, and, you know, their perspective is it doesn't have to take that much work. It just takes a little bit of risk and willingness to end up living with nothing. If it doesn't work out, you go to the next one. Oh, well. You know, and so I'm wondering, you know, what would you say to those kids in terms of their philosophy and, and, you know, how to... Um, move through life successfully.
3: Well, Shell. if if somebody came to me and said that and they were hoping that I would provide sober and and adult-like mature investing advice, they would be coming to the wrong guy. I... I, Lately, I just absolutely love it when kids think like that. Yeah. Um, I, I, I've just got done saying that the right thing to do for investing is put your money away and live this sober life, and you know, and have a job that will allow you to save, you know, this money each month, and you do that for yeah. forty years and you retire rich. Okay, but I'm I'm not that kind of guy, and yeah. I I don't really, honestly, I I don't. My kids aren't that kind of guy either. Yeah. You know, and and so. I don't really encourage that. What I encourage, I feel better with the path less traveled. You know, I mm. feel like life should be a just a fricking adventure, man. I think it should just yeah. be yeah. such a ride. You know, I'm with Zig Ziglar. You know, just roll me into yeah. the worn out because I had the ride. And I think these kids today are seeing that. They do have a shot at breaking it loose in some kind of yeah. way. And they're right to think, I do believe this, they're right to think that they take their shot when they're young and they miss it, they can start over. And they're, they're absolutely right about that. Yeah. In fact, one yeah. of my favorite investors in the world, and I would encourage your readers to read this guy's book, his name is Manesh P-A-E-R-A-I. Monash is a brilliant investor in the Rule 1 style, the style that I invest in, and a very big fan of Warren Buffett's. Um, he's obviously an Indian guy, and, and, um, and he wrote a book called The Dando Investor, D-H-A-N-D-O. It, it's, a, it's a Sanskrit word for uh, business-like. So basically what he's saying in his book is be, you know, make your investments as if you're buying into businesses. And he tells the story of the Patel family essentially taking over something like 20% of the hotels in America over the last 30 years, doing them one at a time, taking everything that they've got, some you know, very poor family, but taking all the money they've got, maybe fifteen thousand dollars, and rolling it into one investment, and then mm. trying to make that investment work. And if it doesn't work, then they save it up again and do it again. And and they have made millions doing that way. So that I would say, yeah, you're young. You know, <laughs> there's a famous line in 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 uh, Raisin, Arizona where they're going like, you're young, high. What you need a job for? It's kind of yeah. like that. You just go out there and rock the world is what I'd like to see young people do. Yeah,
2: yeah. well, you know, and I I find it fascinating because you know their their parents are um, ultimately excited about their energy and their. Um, their willingness to go for it, and completely panicked. You know, oh my God, what are we going to do? What do you mean you dropped out of Stanford? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> right? You know, and, and yet there's this energy in them and this sense of um, possibility that I think is kind of at the core of what the human condition really is about. And, and it's almost as if we've forgotten it. And um, so when I you work with folks, one of the things that happens is you re-spark that energy in them and, you know, you kind of light them up again. And it's a lot about seeing possibility, believing in possibility, being willing to take the risk, you know, knowing that nothing nothing has a guarantee, right? Um, I mean, you say very clearly, you know, this is a great methodology, it works. And then once in a while, it doesn't. And you've got to have patience and, you know, see where it goes for you, and which I really appreciate, by the way, because, you know, one of the things that um, even in your exuberance and excitement, um, one of the things you are clear about is, um, you know, this is not a get rich quick scheme, and it is a disciplined, focused approach. And so, you know, which is kind of counter to your energy, which, you know. (laughs) <laughs> it's really fascinating to me. It, it, it's really kind of an interesting juxtaposition.
3: Um, well, I would say so, the thing is if I can do it, then everybody can do it because it is definitely uh, not uh, my energy to be that kind of disciplined guy. Yeah. I, I went on CNBC, and, and they asked me to do a pilot for them. I did a, a, a couple of shows for them, and they liked what we were doing. And So I, we shot this pilot, and they let me do whatever I wanted to do. And I did exactly what you just said. I went out there and I said I had a live audience that came in, a bunch of people that had read my book and wanted to kinda of be part of the show and and I just I I told them in, in these two pilots, essentially, I'm gonna teach you how to go out there and really roll and really roll the dice to try to really do well. And and I talked about how our our forefathers got in Conestoga wagons and took their families out on this this really dangerous journey across from the Mississippi into Oregon, and, and they could, their kids could die. There's a dozen ways you could lose your life or, or be right, terribly right. injured, and yet they took it in stride, and, and we're afraid to lose our money. Yeah. I mean, that's a long way from losing your life. Right yeah. and and, yeah. and putting your kids at risk, you know the, the little house on the prairie thing, that whole sure. that whole move. Yeah, that guy would probably be considered some sort of psychotic today yeah. because his, yeah. their dad moved from Minnesota when somebody got within five miles of him. He got it was just too close, and he took that family. The little house on the prairie is actually a sod house they built in Sioux Territory. After the U.S. Army said, we're not going to come out there and defend you, and they built that sod house out there, and those kids could have been massacred at any time, and I, and I- to take those kinds of risks, right, is something so out of our experience. And for us now, I think to take a step back toward that kind of American spirit and willingness to take chances to get to the life you really want to have, why not? And, and especially because they're not going to come out and scalp you for it. It's pretty, yeah. a pretty low-end level of risk going on here That's relative right. to the kind of risk our forefathers took, I think.
2: Well, you know, I mean that really begs the question of um you know how did we get there how did um the almighty dollar become the holy grail you know um it, 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 it seems like if you think, if you look at the news every day, if you look at you know what's happening, the the economy is a big deal. The economy is in the news every day. There's bad news about the economy every day. Um, there's fear in in, in you know, connected to the economy every day. There's fear connected to how much jobs there exist and you know, whether you should take a risk or not take a risk. And and you know how did we get there when so much of what has occurred in the world in a positive way has been because people were willing to take risks. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I,
3: I think we got there because of this this idea of place. Um, in, uh, place, a uh, place to me, like with human beings, it means like how do I fit in with everybody else? Where's my place? Uh, yeah, and, and yeah. I think that place is so critical to us. How we fit into mm. the herd, you know? It's like mm. we're not solitary animals. We are. We yeah. very much live our lives in a community, and how I fit into that community is more important to me, perhaps, than anything else. When I'm talking about the, the normal person. And yeah. if my community all has new cars and nice houses and their kids yeah. are in nice schools and they dress a certain yeah. way, if that's my community, then I've got to rise to that standard. And the problem mm-hmm. is that standard just keeps moving up. And up, right, and up, right, and up. right, yeah. And pretty soon we find yeah. ourselves in these kind of impossible mm. to sustain financial problems where, you know, we have to borrow just to keep our place, and and, mm. and you know, it, it becomes a financial disaster. So, wow. I mean, and I, I can talk about this thing all day because I think that I mean, money is how we keep scoring a hedge fund, obviously, but we are right. best to make money. We, our investment philosophy is that we invest number one, number two, number three priority altogether is to not lose it. We focus on not losing money. And we do that by focusing on buying things we really understand that we think will make the world a better place down the road. We like to buy into companies that match our value set. And we like to do things with people that we really like. I love buying into companies like Whole Foods with John Mackey, who's out there, you know, a reformed socialist turned libertarian. I love this kind of stuff. And so I love it when our kids are out there, Going after the bucks and everything, but you know, honestly, I mean, mm-hmm. my kids are, are certainly doing that in a kind of a way, but they re, they're doing it in, in fields that they love. They love getting mm-hmm. up in the morning and going to work, and the money becomes an incidental to that. And I think that's the right way to look at it.
2: Well, and that definitely is not. The norm, you know, but the money becomes incidental to that. I mean, that's a fascinating phrase. Um, and well, look at look at
3: my uh, my daughter is getting out of med school like now, and um, and going off to her career, and and she's a very good student, very good medical school student in a very good medical school, and she had her many choices for the kinds of disciplines she was going to go into, so she could have picked neuro. Uh, whatever the neurology thing is, the brain you know brain surgery, heart surgery, oh, any of uh, which would have guaranteed yeah. her yeah you can you can tell my level of education but yeah, <laughs> but, <laughs> but she and those were the money fields, but yeah. she 's deeply interested in women 's health, and so she chose ob um, OBGYN and that 's perhaps one of the least paying fields in medicine i mean at the end of the day she 's choosing the joy in her life of being with people and helping them over yeah. the big income. Although yeah. she's gonna do fine, right? I mean she's gonna be a doctor yeah, so good. she's gonna be fine. Yeah, yeah. But I love that in her, you know, and, I, and my other daughter is a, is, is a lawyer and she's practicing emerging corporation law, not because it's the place where she'll make the most money, but because it's where she gets the most joy. So I think if you combine these things, this willingness to risk, and you go out there and you go aggressively after what you want, you know, you're going to have a good life. I mean, the money will, The money will follow your passion and your talent.
2: I love it. I love it. Well, we are going to get to these steps and, and, you know, what, what it is you teach people. Um, first we're going to take a break and we'll be back with Bill
1: consulting developing leaders worldwide become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash world talk radio we appreciate you joining our Leading Conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl.
2: Welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Vito with my very special guest today, Phil Town, hedge fund investor, Head manager, investment guru, and educator, author, um, amazing speaker. Um, his book Rule Number One is a New York Times bestseller, and Payback Time: Making Big Money Is the Best Revenge is um, on its way there. And we are so happy to be listening and and learning from you, Phil. So let, let's talk about um, the the actual um, steps that you teach people. You know about this. Style of investing, um, you know, and you talked about that your philosophy is around investing in businesses, you know, not in stocks. You talked about um, that you, you really—it's not about going into this to make money. It's about going into to this. You know, rule number one: not to lose money. Right? Make sure you don't lose money. Um, and you talked about Warren Buffett. So, so take us through this process. You know, talk about some of the nuts and bolts of this.
3: Well, I think the first thing, Cheryl, is that is that little investors, like I started out, most of the people who are just beginning as investors don't have a lot of money to invest, have huge advantages that they don't realize they have as an investor. Every successful hedge fund manager I know wishes he could invest. Uh, the money they now have the way he did when he first started out because having a lot more money is a definite drag on results and it makes it tougher to do the job. When you're just starting out as a small investor, what you really want to do is focus on the part of life that you understand the best. So if you're a school teacher, you focus on educational companies to begin with. If you're a guy like me and you like riding Harley-Davidson motorcycles, you focus on recreational vehicles and, and you know bikes and ATVs. And you start right there, where maybe even do this, go out and and make three lists, one of everything you're passionate about, a list of everything you're talented at doing, and a list of everything where you spend and make money. And then look at what's on all three lists. Like for a teacher, they might say, well look, I'm passionate about teaching in fifth grade. I love doing it. It's my life work. I'm very talented at it. I've, you know, I'm teacher awards and I'm, the kids love me and that's how I make my living. So teaching or education goes on all three of those lists. That immediately takes us to the educational industry. And there are dozens and dozens of companies that are all about the educational industry. And, and so immediately you're working in a field you already understand. And you mm. dive in and learn that field. So we, we call that the first of four M's that we use mm-hmm. to to figure out whether we should buy this business or not. The first one is, mm-hmm. what's the meaning of the business? Do I understand it do do i get it does it match my values is it is it a business that i'm proud of um, mm. or am i just in it for the bucks and and by the way mm. most investors who have mutual funds are buying in their their mutual fund managers buying companies with their money that they probably don't like like, for example, you're teaching your kids not to smoke, but if you own a mutual fund, you probably own Altria, which makes right. cigarettes. So you find right. yourself, by not managing your own money, you find yourself kind of being a hypocrite of mm-hmm. saying one thing, but you're doing something else, you know? And we feel like if we own one share of a company, the karma of that company is our karma. We just... Mm-hmm. We, we, we just don't know where the line's drawn by God, sort of, you know. I'm <laughs> not sure where it is. Like, sure. okay, yeah, it is a slave plantation, but I only owe 10% of it. So it's not my yeah. fault. No, I don't, I don't yeah. think you can get away with that kind of stuff. So right. what we do is say, look, we're, we're going to put our money where our values are. We're going to put our money where our heart is and find companies that we really admire, the people who run them. That's the third M, the management team. And we're going to make sure that that company is a good business by the second M, which is the moat. And moat is just absolutely critical. So we teach our students how to do moat, right? And this, what you're going to read about. Anything you read about with Warren Buffett, like if you guys want to really get an education on this stuff, just read Buffett's letters for the last 30 years to the Berkshire Hathaway shareholders. They're on the website. Yeah. You can just go look them up. One of the best educations in investing that you could ever get. And what he says over and over again is the key is to buy a business that is a durable, business it's going to be around 20 years so we Mm -hmm. don't try to figure out the next hot tech company and the next hot pharmacy pharmaceutical we just Mm -hmm. buy companies like chipotle grill you know i mean i can Mm -hmm. i can figure out that chipotle is going to be here in 20 years because they make this great burrito and they're on the (laughs) cutting edge of natural fast food you know so Uh and i love the guys that run it so meaning Chipotle means a lot to me because I love going there and eating their food, and I understand that industry. They've got a big, durable moat. They're real hard to compete with. And finally, they've got a great management team. So those three things go together to make that what I call a wonderful business. Then the fourth M is margin of safety, and those are the three most important words of investing. If you can buy something you know is worth 10 bucks and you can get it for $5, you're going to make money. I don't know exactly when, but I know your risk is really reduced. And so, for example, in 2009, when all of the stock market was melting down for, you know, for all sorts of financial industry reasons, Chipotle grill stock was melting down, too, for no good reason. It just was going down with everything else. So we could buy that thing at forty nine dollars a share, and today it's up over five hundred. And it's like what four, four or five years later. So if you think about what that can do to your to your to your bank account, I mean, my gosh, if you buy something for fifty dollars and it becomes five hundred, it's doubled. Let's say fifty to one hundred is one double. The two hundred is two doubles. Four hundred is three doubles. And that happens in five years. Your compounded rate of return is probably sixty percent a year. And that's probably better than you're getting in your savings account, I'm thinking. You know? Well,
2: you know, just maybe.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh.
2: So, I, that, yeah,
3: that idea of. of Looking at those four things, meaning, moat, management, margin of safety, narrows down dramatically the kind of work you have to do to figure out whether a business is any good. And that last one, of course, is the most important. Like, you know it's it's a good deal, or rather, you know it's a good business, and then you just wait for the market to fluctuate and hand it to you on sale. And it does it. It just does it. Because of the emotions in the market, it just goes up and down, up and down. And if you know what you want to buy, you know how much you want to pay for it, you can pick these things up when they go on sale.
2: Well, you know, and that, again, is so counter because when um, a stock goes down, there tends to be this sense of, oh, well, you know, it's too bad, and uh, the run's over, and gee, too late, and you're saying, oh, no, not too late. Actually, a really good time to get yeah, in. Yeah, really the, good
3: time. Wait for it to go right. down like crazy. And you know what? We love it when we buy something and have it go down. And people don't understand that. But if you think about it for a second, if you're a consumer, see, I consume stocks. That's what I do. I'm, buying, I'm, I'm a buyer of, of parts of businesses. So if I'm a buyer of, let's say, you know, Chipotle burritos, I would know I'm going to be buying Chipotle burritos for the next 20 years. I really would prefer that the price of Chipotle burritos go down, not yeah. up. Yeah. Right? And right, if, things, right. if I'm buying gasoline, I'd prefer the price of gasoline not go to $10. I'd rather have to go to $2. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But when we come to stocks, we don't remember that we're consuming, right. and we want low prices. We want to buy stuff and have right. it go up. No, I want to buy stuff and have it go down so I can buy more of it next year cheaper. <laughs>
2: Make sense? Does that make sense to you? Well, you, you know, it, it does, and yet I find even my own brain, I completely understand this, and even my own brain goes, yeah, but, but, but when do I make money?
3: <laughs> well, here's how it works. In real practice is, um, you, let's say we get Chipotle at 50 bucks, and it's worth 100 okay? Mm-hmm. Well, it's not, I, I would love to see it go down from 50 to 25 so I can buy more of a thing that's worth 100 I would rather buy more of it at 25 yeah. See, yeah. the fact that you bought the, the first chunk at $50 should not make you feel bad about buying the next chunk at 25 If yeah. you know the chunks are worth 100 bucks each, right? Well, okay, so you, this, let let try me try this me on you. Case, okay, sorry. I'm going to sell you $10 bills, yeah. and I'm going to sell you the first one for 5 bucks, and you get a super deal. Are sure. oh, you really going to be upset with me if I sell you the next one at $2?
2: No, but I am going to be saying I hope I'm making the right decision because (laughs) if this thing goes down to being worthless, um, and, you know, if it's down to zero, then I'm really in trouble. And so some of this is, you know, kind of gives back to that whole focus, discipline, remaining calm when, you know, in the face of what most people would be panicking over. You know, I mean, those qualities are important. And it also sounds like you, you've got to have the willingness to do a little homework. I mean, you can't just, you know, throw darts at the board and say, oh, yeah, that company. Or you can't right. just say... I they're you. successful. You somebody somebody said they're successful, right? And so, do you teach
3: people that? Well, you can't you can't stay calm if you don't know what you're doing, right? I mean, if you're, okay. if, you're if you drive your car to work, you're probably pretty calm all the way because you know what you're doing driving a car. But you put yes. your ten year old in there driving the car, it's not going to be a calm ride to work. Because they don't know what they're doing. (laughs) So definitely you have to have knowledge to do this, and, and you have to learn how to do it. And you do a lot of reading, and you study the companies that are in your area of competence. But I want to just add one more thing, and that is I said earlier that you have a tremendous advantage as a small investor. And I want to tell you what one of those advantages is that helped Warren Buffett get started and that is the advantage of coattailing really great investors who are who know way more than we do and who are buying companies if we could know what buffett's buying for example That would be a pretty good advantage, right? And then you could study the business and make sure you understood it. But the knowledge that one of the best investors in the world is buying this company should give you a lot of peace of mind if the company starts going from $5 down to $2, because this guy's buying it. He must have a good feeling for it. And so you go, you do your research, you always have to do your own work. But at the end of the day, knowing that great investors are buying into these companies is a huge advantage. So if you want me to, I can tell you how to do that real quick. It's no. so simple. You, there's a, there's the SEC does these filings. They require these guys to file if they have a, a, a fund over a hundred million dollars in size. Then you have yeah. to file every quarter what you're buying and what you're selling. It's called a 13F filing. 13F. And there's a really good website. I. I I always advertise for these guys. I should get a cut, but I don't. This company (laughs) is great, and it started up in 2003. It's called Guru Focus. It's G-U-R-U-F-O-C-U-S dot com. And they have a big chunk of their website is free, and then if you want more accurate or more up to speed, up to up to current-time data, you need pay like $295 a year. But you can look all over it for free. And that's where they have all these filings posted, so you don't have to try to get it out of the government website. Okay. And it makes it really easy to know what Warren Buffett is buying all the time. Okay. And that's one of our secrets in our hedge fund, is we just look around to uh, try to verify that some other Guys that know what they're doing are also going into this thing with us and we always kind of question our own wisdom if we're the only one buying. And like, how come the rest of these guys don't know what we know? So it's right. a great shortcut to, um, to, to getting some, some comfort that you, that you're in the right place at the right time.
2: Well, you know, I, um, we're coming very close to the end of the show, but I, I want to make sure that people um, really understand that you not only are a successful money manager, but, you know, you do a really good job of teaching people about this and you've created some tools to help people to do this. You know, because as you talk about this, a little bit of me says, Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, this is your business. This is who you are. This is how you spend your time. But most people don't have all day to do this. You know, they have another job or, you know, they're doing other things. And um, and so you've simplified it a bit, um, you know, not not without um, investment in time or um, attention, but you've simplified it a bit. Tell us uh, quickly about some of those of that, that,
3: that people can access. Well, I, we've got a really good tool set that's available at Rule One Investing. That's R U L E O N E, ruleoneinvesting.com. dot com, um, and you can you can use it for thirty days and just play around with it and start to get the feel for how that simplifies the process. And then I I write a blog um, that I've been writing for six or seven years, and it's got hundreds of posts by me and. and And dozens of thousands of commentary. And you can go on that blog and and see where other websites are available that are free that we use all the time to access information. And that's really the key is knowing where to go get the information so you can spend, you know, if you were willing to spend like an hour or two a week on this process and not in a hurry, within a year or so, you could become a really Good investor, really, really good, and and we'll help you as much as we can. We've got thousands of people on the blog who will step up and help you if you just um, go in and whatever my current post is, go to the bottom of it and write in the comments, "Hey, help! I'm I'm a new newbie here, and I'd like to know how to get started." And you'll have a bunch of people contact you who are great at this and uh, and can help you get going. So that's a, that's what I would I would look at the blog and I would I would check out the tool set and then uh and then we we'll try to help you go from there
2: Phil, it has been so fun to have you here on Leading Conversations today. And I feel like I could just keep talking to you for hours and hours. And, uh, you know, I really appreciate you kind of bringing yourself to the party. You know, the more of us who can just be authentic and show up and do what we're passionate about, you know, the better our world's going to be. And I love that you have taken, you know, something that is, very traditional and sometimes safe and stuffy and you've made it fun and interesting and, and also so valuable, you know, you kind of turn things on its head and, um, and good for you because I know this hasn't always been easy and you've gotten a lot of flack from a lot of arenas and, um, you know, I, I just so appreciate that you were here today to share this with us and um, so remember, it's, uh, the book is Rule Number One, New York Times bestseller, um, and the second book is Payback Time. Bill, thanks so much for being here. So I love
3: doing this, and, and I really love doing it with you because I think you've got you know, enormous deep insight, and your listeners are very lucky to have you on the air. So thanks for the opportunity to, to talk about investing in a new kind of way and look forward to seeing you soon. You
2: bet. Absolutely. So remember, everyone, to think big. The world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito.